1: Hello and welcome to Pancreas Pals. I'm Emily, a writer. And I'm Miriam, a licensed mental health counselor. We're just two type 1 diabetics trying to live our best lives. It's not always easy with the literal highs and lows. But it does help to have a Pancreas pal to turn to.
0: Hey guys, welcome to Pancreas Pals. Emily here.
1: And Miriam.
0: And this week's special guest is none other than Dr. Mike Natter who is an artist and a fellow diabetic and soon-to-be Enderkin Fellow. Did I mess that up? No, that's it. Oh, my God. God bless. Welcome, Mike. Welcome back.
2: Um, thank you for having me. This is fantastic. Uh,
0: blessed to have you. So this week in our finale, uh, I can't believe we've gotten to this point. I know. Where's the time gone? Slash we also really dragged out this season at the same time. So, <laughs> LOL. Um, we Life's busy, but welcome back.
2: Thank you. I'm honored to be on the finale. What number episode is this?
1: 12.
0: Of season oh, six. So 72. Oh, There's math yeah. involved. In I'm oh, that. really. Creeper. Is that good we're math? We're creeping up to 100. Oh my God, we're so close. Oh, okay, anyways. I digress. So this week's episode is all about all things type 1 diabetes and flu slash the common cold. I don't know, really just a a whole bunch of different... A a
2: grab bag of sickness and BDs. Yeah, so like
0: Mike had the flu a few weeks ago.
2: Yeah, it's about about a month ago, yeah.
0: And you were posting all this stuff Mm -hmm. on your Instagram Mm -hmm. about dealing with the flu and type 1 and I was like, holy shit... I don't even consider all these things with, you know, like, I mean, I've only been diabetic for five years. Miriam, I'm sure you've had your fair share of uh, sicknesses with type 1 and managing uh, ketones and all those fun things, but there's just so much extra we diabetics have to think about when we're Absolutely. sick.
1: Oh. I'm always learning new things. It's like every time I'm sick, I'm like, oh yeah, I never thought about this before. Yeah. So, so this will be very helpful for all of the pals.
2: Fantastic. It is complicated. I mean diabetes is a complicated beast, but that's why there's a wonderful thing like podcasts where we can disseminate information.
0: It's it's uh the reason why we're all here, yes. On this lovely Sunday. We're doing it. We made it. Okay, so just to like kick things off, we usually start off with people's diagnosis stories, but you've Mm -hmm. already shared that, Mm -hmm. um, so I won't make you retell your story. But do you have any tidbits before we get into your doctorliness Mm -hmm. about... Uh, that's a new word. I made it up. Thank you. About being sick growing up with type 1, was there any takeaways that you would wish you'd known before you became a doctor, soon to be endocrinologist?
2: Um, a couple things. Well, this this might actually launch into a nice tangent.
0: Like, that's my favorite thing! We, we can Let me just move the mic closer to you yeah, for said tangent. Sure,
2: said tangent. So I I think... So I was diagnosed when I had just turned 9. I was two weeks out of my ninth birthday. And I think because type 1 diabetes is such a lifestyle altering chronic illness, it requires this kind of um, acceptance into changing how you normally live your life. And I would always think that at 9, I would wake up when I was told, I'd go to school when I was told, I'd wear what I was told, I'd eat what I was told, do my homework. And so, I actually personally don't think that, I mean it sucked and I would never wish diabetes on anyone. But I think if I was diagnosed later in life in my 20s, that I think I would have had a harder time because I would have established my lifestyle, and I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted to necessarily kind of change things, especially when I'm some like angsty teen or twenty year old man, you know, saying like, "Who are you to tell me what to do?" So I'm curious because I know that Emily has a different feeling about this. So I'm curious to feel, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about it. But I actually think that um, being diagnosed as a child. It's You're more malleable, and therefore you can kind of um, more seamlessly mesh the lifestyle of diabetes into your life. Do you agree? Disagree? What do you guys think?
1: So, I, Emily and I have this argument all the time, and I'm with you, Mike, where I feel like I was six when I was diagnosed. So really, I don't remember life without diabetes in that sense, um, and I think there are pros and cons to that. The pro is, like you, it doesn't feel like this huge major life transition because it just... Like you said, your, your life just kind of flows and develops with diabetes. But on the flip side, with that, that means you went through like every horrible developmental stage in adolescence, like you had diabetes on top of all of that. So I think for the most part, I am grateful to have been diagnosed younger and I think it was easier in a lot of ways. But I, I think of all the aspects of my life, it's like, wow, well, that would have been so much easier. That would have been like one less thing if I didn't have diabetes on top of that.
2: Sure. that's a fair point.
0: I mean, for me, this is something that I always talk about. Like, I had 20 beautiful years with a working pancreas, and I feel so lucky to have gone through the horrible times of puberty without having to deal with the fluctuations of blood sugar. I mean... I'm here to tell you now that every month it's a clusterfuck, for lack of a better word. Like, you never know what you're going to get in terms of blood sugar. Um, Dad, if you're listening, I'm sorry. But it's just, you know, the female anatomy is a very, a very scary hormone-driven world that really does affect your blood sugar. And any ladies listening or anyone with female reproductive parts, it's really... It's, it's a struggle and a half, and you know what I'm talking about, but... For me, it was being diagnosed at 20, halfway through college, like 1,200 miles away from all my friends and family, really being solo and being told that I was fine for a year and a half before I was properly diagnosed. That's crazy. That, like To me, it was more of not being taken seriously and learning how to advocate for myself. And that's something that Miriam and I talk about all the time. It's what our last episode was literally about, but it's a big reason why... I now understand the importance, but that being said, like, I don't know if I've ever shared this, but I know it's shocking, like something I haven't shared on this podcast. It's not really my thing to share, so sorry, twin sister, if you're listening, but Laura has been dealing with, um, like, hormonal-driven pre-diabetes she's not pre-diabetic but she's had yeah but okay. she has uh, fluctuations in blood sugars and she's had that long before I was type 1 diabetic so I remember when she was first diagnosed or slash dealt with that in high school and I remember my very first thought was she, she had to prick her finger like or they no she had to do a low-carb diet I think mm-hmm. is what it was um for just like a month or something to see if it would help And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I could never do that. And then, LOL, literally five years later, I'm type 1 diabetic, and my life is doing that. So it's just one of those things where you always think the grass is greener, but either way you spin it, it just sucks. And it's kind of what we make of it. So the fact that I had those 20 years where it did work, I feel truly hashtag blessed because I didn't have to deal with, you know, like – me being you know the fact that I had I was a little chub middle schooler had nothing to do with my diabetes mm-hmm. or the fact that you know thank god it never contributed to any insulin resistance or anything like that mm-hmm. so grass is always greener but either way you spin it it sucks but I guess we're all in the same club but it's very interesting that you and Miriam you guys are around the same age and you were therefore Miriam
2: is significantly younger than I am don't oh, ever, don't so ever, don't ever age someone.
0: On <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, fair enough. Anyone <laughs> I mean, in their thirties is around the same age to me. <laughs>
2: we're, probably, probably, we're probably close in age, but I just didn't want you to feel
0: old, so we're gonna. <laughs> Moral of is I'm a baby. Okay, let's uh, let's hold on to that. Sobs while I pay my own health insurance for the first time. Um, back to health. The yeah. reason why we've gathered. So we're very happy you're feeling better, but. Thank you. Um, So I guess it's kind of similar in terms of diagnosis. And the big scary part of diabetes is Mm -hmm. sliding into DKA at any point. Um, A lot of illnesses, common illnesses can lead to that if you're not on top of it, and you're already a type one diabetic. Uh, So do you want to walk us a little bit through what that process is like and how to look out for it?
2: Yes, absolutely. So let's let's do like a quick like 30-second recap of the physiology of diabetes because I love this stuff. And it's interesting. And the more you kind of understand it, the more you can empower yourself with it.
0: We love empowering things. We're going to
2: empower things, right? Yes. So... Type 1 diabetes, and it's always important to specify, right? Because type 1 is very different from type 2, and there's other flavors of diabetes. There's diabetes insipidus, there's gestational diabetes, there's there's type 1.5 diabetes, there's a a miserable amount of diabetes. Type 1 is very specific to what we all share here tonight, and what that is is very prototypically an autoimmune destruction, an autoimmune, auto meaning self, immune meaning your immune system, so your own immune system mistakenly destroys the beta cells, which are the cells of the pancreas that make insulin. Insulin is a hormone. and That hormone is what's regulating the amount of sugar that's in your blood and how much of that sugar goes into your cells that you use for energy. You always want to have some sugar in your blood, but you don't want too much. You don't want too little.
0: Just like you don't want your blood sugar to be, like, 10, but you don't want your blood sugar to be, like, 500. Exactly.
1: Yeah, Mike, that was so well-spoken. I feel like you've done this spiel before. It's like he's a doctor.
0: <laughs> it's like you're a doctor.
1: <laughs>
0: the third time I've said that tonight.
2: <laughs> Never done it before. No, I, all the time. But, but what's interesting about um, what goes on is that your body is both really, really, really smart And also really stupid. So (laughs) your body says, the cells of your body that are not getting the sugar or the glucose that they need to make the ATP or energy to do what they need to do for their cells, then need to shunt their source of energy to something else. So in the absence of insulin, if there's zero insulin, which is what we all share with being type 1, meaning we have no endogenous or self-producing insulin, your body says, I need energy, and so it looks to other sources. And so some of those other sources include breaking down our fat cells, our fat, our storage of energy, but it's a different kind of flavor of energy. It's called beta-oxidation of fats. And, yes, we can get some energy out of that fat, but a lot of these byproducts are ketone bodies. Ketone bodies, very acidic. When we think acidic, it's like lemon. We think lime. Citrus. Think citrus, <laughs> right? We think tart fruits. So that... If we if we're getting to get real nerdy and granular, we think about a pH scale. A pH scale is a one to fourteen Likert scale of uh, acidity to basis to basicity to neutrality. And so seven is neutral, meaning not not acidic nor basic. And then as you get lower down that scale, closer to one, the more acidic you become. Your blood likes to be neutral. So it likes at to sit seven. at 7.4, 7.3. That's where it loves to live. And there's a reason for that because there's so much crap that's flowing through your blood. And that those pieces of protein and, and enzymes work at a very specific pH. It would kind of be like if you are used to working out on the beach in 90-degree weather in your bathing suit, and then you get tossed into New York in the middle of the winter, how are you supposed to work out? Your body's not used to that. So it's the same idea. These things are trying to do their normal everyday thing, but if it's too acidic, they can't do it. And so okay. now you've made this blood very acidic, and when you make the blood very acidic, you're going to start to denature these proteins, you're going to start to break things down, and you're going to start to basically deteriorate.
0: You're going to die.
2: You will die. Yeah. So okay. you go into a coma, and you can die. So that is...
0: We don't want that for you. That's,
2: that's <laughs> bad. That's worst case scenario. I'm going to say from a medical perspective, not good. <laughs>
0: wouldn't recommend i don't
1: don't want to veer too far from like the topic of this episode but but now that i better understand the acid aspect of ketoacidosis what makes it so that diabetics or type 1 diabetics go into ketoacidosis versus people who are just like on a keto diet who are creating this keto these ketogenic processes
2: brilliant question so People without type 1 diabetes on a ketogenic diet, like the Atkins diet, or just eating you know, uh, no carbs or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. they go into a state of something called ketosis. Okay. That's a very big difference from ketoacidosis. And that's because their body still makes some insulin, and so they're still able to generate and and kind of do the normal uh, mechanistic processes that needs to happen, whereas you and I, unfortunately, have zero insulin, and so the bulk of all of that energy source is coming from beta-oxidation, so you're getting a much higher amount of these ketone bodies in the blood. Gotcha. It overwhelms the system. It gums up the works.
0: So during ketosis, that person's body will ultimately level itself back out. Correct.
2: Sort of. Like, they're still breaking down their fat stores, and they're right. using ketones as their energy source, but there isn't so much of the ketone bodies that are that are living in the blood to cause a lowering of the blood's pH. But
0: could someone potentially go into DKA from now?
2: No, because uh, if there is any insulin at all that's on board, then um, the chances mm-hmm. of them going into a, a ke- ketoacidotic state is almost none.
0: Okay, okay, lucky bitches. So back. <laughs> good question, though, Miriam.
1: Very good. Question. I feel like I'm learning so much. Okay.
2: We're having a night.
0: Meanwhile, yeah. Miriam's husband is also a doctor. <laughs> I love what and her dad is too. Oh my! But they're
1: both. My husband describes himself as like a medical mechanic. Mm-hmm. Versus, he calls He's a like real. He calls you guys real doctors.
2: There's, there's like a divide sleeping. amongst the, the physicians and the surgeons, and I think the physicians are more a little bit cerebral, and uh-huh. the surgeons are the guys that are like, okay, or, or the females or the women that say, uh-huh. here is a mechanical problem, I'm going to use my hands, I'm going to cut and sew and stitch, and I fixed exactly. it. So we need we need each of them. Everyone, yeah. everyone plays a role. Um, and I, listen... As a resident, and I'm like dying in my residency, and I look at the surgeons going through there, it's like, I don't know how I have no idea who he's doing it. It's craziness what they do.
0: We love Steven. Back to the flu. Oh, we do it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So the BDs, right? So you talked about what DK is. So without insulin, that happens. But when every diabetic knows that there are variables that mess with our sugars that are in our control what we eat the amount of insulin we take when we exercise there are variables that are out of our control stress hormonal changes all these things and so stress can be both like a like a psychic stress like oh man I have a big test oh man my girlfriend broke up with me that's stressful but then there's also this physiologic stress and so oftentimes that psychologic stress and these physiologic stresses kind of come together and when we are stressed out our brain is very in tune with our surroundings and it's stressed out and so it goes to our hypothalamus and tells our hypothalamus, oh, something's going on with our body, we're in a stress, we're in fight or flight, and it tells the pituitary to spit out certain hormones. Those hormones go down to our adrenal glands and we spit out things like epinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol. These hormones put us in a state that makes, that our body makes its own sugar. And this is all kind of evolutionarily makes sense because if you saw a tiger in the forest and you needed to fight that or run run away, your muscles will need a lot of energy. And energy, we need sugar, right, to make that energy. And so our liver starts dumping, just pissing sugar into the blood. Lovely. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) So in those states, in addition to that, we also can become a little bit insulin um, resistant. We're not as sensitive. And so all of this kind of makes this perfect storm of hyperglycemia in someone that is insulin dependent like you and I.
0: Like type 1 diabetics.
2: Like type 1 diabetics. When we are sick, such as the flu or any kind of real illness, our immune system is putting our bodies in a type of stress. And that's good because we need that stress to fight the infection. But one of the byproducts, the unfortunate byproducts, is that we are going to then become hyperglycemic because we have all of our stress hormones that are being spit into the blood.
0: And for those who are listening who get confused like I used to slash still do sometimes, hyperglycemic is when you have a high blood sugar and hypoglycemic is when you have a low blood sugar. And I did not go to medical school.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You're an honorary, <laughs> honor, honorary MD. You got, I feel like every, every type 1 diabetic essentially has their MD.
0: I mean, oh, yeah. like high key, low key, I feel like a lot of diabetics could, they know just as much, if not more, than specialists, doctors in other fields. Like, I can't but tell you. Diabetes. Yeah, Absolutely sorry. Not. My ENT. Love a good ENT. Couldn't tell me a lot about any insulin pumps or any blood sugar ranges, but he knows a lot about my sinus issues, Mm -hmm. and that is why you go and see him.
2: It's a a good point. It's a good point on so many levels. This kind of harkens back to your recent episode about um, being empowered to speak up for yourself and advocate because... A lot of people, myself included, there was no medicine in my family. Before I went into medicine, I thought every doctor knew everything from A to Z in medicine.
0: Doctors were gods uh-huh. to me before Doctors I was misdiagnosed. Were Doctors yeah. were gods, right?
2: They knew everything. They, everything is black and white. Mm-hmm. They diagnose you. It's always correct. They, they treat you. It's always right. That's unfortunately not the case. Medicine is much more of an art than a science. It's very, very gray. It's very, very murky. And it's very subspecialized. And a lot of my colleagues who are brilliant that may be going into cardiology or infectious disease or nephrology, they definitely do not know the level of detail about type 1 diabetes that I promise you that you yourself as a patient will know. Mm-hmm. And you should always feel empowered to speak up and say, I'm not sure if that's the case or I don't necessarily react that way. And I think they'll, that if they're a good physician, they'll respect that and they'll, they'll um, meet you halfway.
0: Very important about advocating for yourself. Yes especially in this big, bad world. So back to the flu. Back to
2: the flu. Did you get the flu this year, Emily? Uh,
0: Not this year. I have had the flu four times in my life and I had it once as a kid and then three times in college but it was when I was going into DKA like and around and yeah okay. so that lasted for around a year and a half and I believe I got the flu twice that year like okay. actually got the flu like I was t- I tested positive yes um which again could cover up other symptoms mm-hmm. but um they were checking my blood sugar at the time so shouldn't have been that's a whole other, a whole other, other story. Kind of yeah. Marianne, what about you? Have you had the flu I, recently?
1: I did not get the flu, but my husband did. Even even with the flu shot, which I'm sure you had as well, he got the flu. So what they prescribed him Tamiflu. Mm-hmm. So then I also took Tamiflu prophylactically okay. um, and was able to make a case for that because of type 1 diabetes. So that was like a nice perk in that sense that they were more willing to give me this medication before
0: I actually
2: had any symptoms. Okay.
1: Well, and it worked because I didn't get the flu. That's
2: fantastic. I'm, always, I'm happy to hear that. The flu sucks. So <laughs> yeah. a, a, cu- a couple of quick points. So one point that Emily kind of tapped into is that oftentimes people with type 1 diabetes, undiagnosed type 1 diabetes, will um, be kind of uh, shoot away and said, oh, you just have the flu. You don't have uh, anything mm-hmm. worse than that. And that's because the, the symptoms of type 1 diabetes can oftentimes mimic that of the flu. So that's one thing to always be aware of. Secondly, um, sometimes the, the etiology or the cause of type 1 diabetes is linked to viral illness. And there's a theory called molecular mimicry in that a viral illness like the flu, like something called Coxsackie A virus, these types of things, when they get into our system for whatever reason, there's something called epitope or the shape of that virus looks very similar to that of the beta cells. And so our immune system is then entrained to break down anything that looks like that. And that's the theory of how our autoimmunity could potentially have been triggered. So all that, that's kind of another tangent. So when, when we have the flu, So first and foremost, this is a good time to make a plug for everyone should be vaccinated. For anything that you can be vaccinated for, especially the flu, do so. But (laughs) if you are immunocompromised, which some people would argue type 1 diabetics are, you should always get uh, the vaccination. Now, the problem with the flu vaccination in particular is, unlike other vaccinations, you notice you have to get it every season, right? You don't just take it once and you're good for life. The reason is because the flu is a virus that undergoes something called antigenic drift and antigenic shift. Big fancy words for their DNA is constantly going under mutations.
0: It's changing. It's
2: changing. Mm -hmm. It's evolving.
0: That's why there's different strains of flu, and that's why there's a new flu shot every year. That's exactly right.
2: And so what we do in medicine is we take our best guess at what that DNA strain of flu is going to be, and we give that prophylactic vaccination before that hits. And because we're guessing and because things are always constantly changing, as you can tell, sometimes the flu shot's not that effective. But it's never bad for you. Right. The mm-hmm. only It's kind of like the equivalent of saying, I see that it's raining outside. I know that it's raining outside. Do I take the umbrella that may have a couple holes in it or do I just go and get wet is how I see it. It's better to get some coverage than zero coverage. Anyway.
1: Yeah, I like that.
2: Get your vaccination. Always get. Okay. All of them. So, all of the vaccinations, (laughs) all of them. All of them. do all of them. So, let's say you do all of them, and unfortunately, as is the case, you get the flu. It happens, right? It happened to you. It happened to me. Granted, I am in the hospital, and so I'm at increased risk to it, but the flu is a very, very contagious virus. Mm -hmm. You know, washing your hands is obviously key. Um... Uh, quarantining and isolating yourself and, and, and others who may be sick is also very key. Uh, but even with all of that, it's almost impossible not to expose yourself on some level. So, got the flu. Emily, what do you think is really important as a diabetic when you have the flu?
0: Staying hydrated.
2: Okay. Very good. So as
0: a diabetic in general?
2: Well, so let's start, let's start, let's start in general. Like, as, as, like a, as like a human. And well, just tell me, how do you feel when you, get the, when you got the flu last? How did you feel?
0: Like I had died. Mm-hmm. Like, and not even, like, I was dying. Like, it, this was the seventh layer of hell death.
1: Your death. Yeah. yeah. And there might be some GI issues, so you might not really have an appetite, not want to yeah. eat anything or drink anything. Well,
0: you can't really taste... I couldn't taste anything. It's, like, I also have all these, you know, sinus issues and fun side things from life. And for me, like, it's just... I mean, it's the flu. It's bad for everyone, but I felt like it took me, like, two months to get better instead of, like, two weeks exactly
2: yeah so yeah what you guys are saying is is like dead on right so like there is this level of like deathly fatigue lethargy you want to lay in bed you can't move okay. um like you were saying um there could be gi effects so you can have nausea you can have vomiting you can have diarrhea you can have all three of the above right um and um you know oftentimes it'll kind of start out of it as like a, a Fever, body aches, chills, sometimes sore throat. So all these things put together, this is your body's response. This is not necessarily the flu's issue. It's your body's response to the flu. And so, again, your immune system is revved up. You're very gluconeogenic. You're making a lot of sugars. You're hyperglycemic. You're high blood sugar because you're trying to fuel everything to fight off this infection. And so what that usually means for a type 1 diabetic is that the insulin requirement will go up. Um, never, ever make any adjustments to your insulin until you spoke to your you know, individual physician. You, you should you know, be able to have that relationship. I, I would never um, offer specific individual medical advice on a podcast. I need to meet my, my individuals. We should also, a disclaimer.
0: Mike is not your doctor. That's really just the disclaimer. He's not your doctor. He's, <laughs> He's just not doctor. your doctor. He's a doctor. He's not my doctor. He's not Miriam's doctor. He's just a guy who's kind of a doctor. You are a doctor. That's rude um but he's not your doctor if you're listening so go to your physician whatever country you may be in nationalized or not nationalized someone will be there to answer any questions and that won't be mike please continue
2: correct thank you for that <laughs> yes um no but it's true because you can't you can't kind of individualize care over obviously over podcast but but uh prototypically generically speaking uh in in states that are uh this kind of um Immune, you know, activation state. You will typically need more insulin. Now, what's concerning, though, and the main concern about being sick while you are type one is you are more prone to going into DKA, and that's for those same reasons we just discussed. Because the insulin requirement is much higher. But then you may also not be eating very much, and if you're not eating, you may not be taking any boluses. You may have be sleeping through your basils, whatever it may be, and so you're just at a higher risk. Of becoming or going into DKA.
0: So from a patient perspective, how long and how high of ketones would you consider to be going into DKA versus just having high ketones and being able to flush them out?
2: Yeah, so that's a good question. And so basically, there's a couple of things, like red flag signs that I'd be aware of. So for one, especially if there's GI side effects, if you aren't able to keep anything down, even if you don't have frank ketones, I would think that's a, that's a good indication for you to actually go right to the hospital because, um, someone without diabetes could potentially kind of withstand some dehydration and and, and not eating and so on for some period of time. We unfortunately have less of a, um, what's the word I want to look for? A, um, reserve. We don't have that same reserve and so if we get dehydrated and we're hyperglycemic, all these things put together, especially if we're vomiting, um, it's, it's, it could be dangerous very quickly. And so it's always better to err on the side of caution and go to the emergency okay. room. The other thing that's important to note is that you have to be cautious if you're not keeping food down. Um, so you want to keep hydrated, but you also don't want to take a bolus of insulin and then realize you can't keep something down. Because then you've right, become, yeah. put yourself into a state of potentially becoming hypoglycemic or low. Very dangerous. It's extremely complicated how to navigate them, And so what I always think is, is helpful and safe is to have a kind of go-to, um, worst-case scenario, sick bag of sorts. So it's always good to keep... Obviously, you always want to have, as I'm sure you already do, extra insulin, extra glucagon, extra blood glucose testing strips and, and meters and so on. But in addition to that, it's good to have ketone strips, urine ketone strips. It's good to have a stockpiling of things like um, Gatorade or Pedialyte, both the sugar-free kind, but also the stuff with actual sugar in it. And what's interesting is when you are very dehydrated, if you vomited a lot or if you had a lot of diarrhea, drinking just water sometimes is not as good because it has to get it gets into the osmols of. of um, like nerdy physiology of what's going to actually stay in your intravascular space. But the, <laughs> short, the short answer is a little bit of watered down Gatorade may actually serve you well, and or Pedialyte may serve you well in terms of rehydration than just drink okay. water. Um, so that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect is if the only thing you can keep down um, is a little bit of Gatorade, um, that's going to help you in terms of your blood sugars as well. And so having all that kind of at least in it somewhere in your in your apartment or in your house, or having a friend or a family member able to get you those things immediately when you start to feel ill, very, very important.
0: And now a brief word from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Real Good Foods. Real Good Foods. Have you ever tried their new plant-based pizza crust? It's super low in carb but high in flavor. Personalize it with your favorite toppings and pop it in the oven. Find out more at RealGoodFoods.com and use code PancreasPals10 at checkout. Now back to the episode. Sorry, my blood sugar is going very high right now. Oh. I'm good.
1: You okay?
0: Yeah. It's I have the some, damn she just, Chinese food. She's just
1: food. so excited about this conversation. It was
0: the man. Chinese food. I couldn't help myself. It was so good. I'm 267. It's I, okay.
2: It happens. I'm mad. Why it happens? Um, I have some insulin. Do you guys want some? Oh, okay. I brought it
0: up here. Oh, you're so kind. <laughs> if you can hear the clicking, that's my Omnipod giving me mine. But...
2: Wait, why don't we take a check? Let's all check right now.
0: Oh, God. Miriam, don't feel pressured. I'm just
2: going to ch- look at my Dexcom, actually.
0: Oh, you're beautiful.
2: beautiful. I'm doing, I'm doing okay.
0: I'm a hundred points higher than you.
2: Well, the problem.
1: I I... got a unicorn.
0: Miriam's the best. Are you at a hundred? Yes. Whoa. I've never heard you so excited. (laughs) I
1: know because what are the odds? Right
0: when you say check your. Lol. Cool. 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 I'm a failure. (laughs) No, I know. I know. If you're listening, all we talk about is how not to think like that. So sorry.
2: (laughs) Uh, You want it? I'll make you feel better. Do you know what I was all of yesterday? 300
0: all day so like Ugh. and you didn't go into dk
2: well i i kind of went down i was in and out of 300 but okay. no, i did not go into dk but that's that's a whole other story there was a lot of issues yeah, i feel with like we could do
1: a whole episode just on ketones because they're still such an enigma to me i sometimes. mean
0: well so the re- one of the reasons why i wanted to do this episode is because i had ketone okay i've like only been diabetic obviously as we've discussed for five years mm-hmm. five and a half i had ketones when i was diagnosed but i luckily have not had or checked at a certain time when i did have ketones since Mm -hmm. and i had a stomach bug about um was it like a month ago miriam i think a month ago yeah and i had my blood sugar the highest it went was like 190 maybe 200 and then like went back down and like when i say stomach bug i don't mean throwing up i mean the less cute thing
1: the bottom side yeah
0: the other end and um I had ketones, and I had like been eating, and like every it's just everything was like
2: going through. It, yeah. you weren't absorbing
0: anything. So it was like, and it wasn't. I, I had medium ketones. Like I've never in my life, and I was so confused because my blood sugar didn't go high like that high at all.
2: Were you finger uh, checking, or was this just on your on your? F-
0: I was finger checking the whole oh, okay. time.
2: Interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah, I don't trust my. I'm very. All about my numbers.
2: There, so. there is there is a phenomenon something called euglycemic DKA that that doesn't really apply to us because there's a, it, it's in the setting of, of a specific medication that's for type two so it's not really relevant but um, you know it's possible that you were transiently kind of going in and out of a state of ketosis because you weren't um, like being well hydrated. Um, It was probably that. But, you know, if your sugars were okay, you were feeling well, um, you eventually were starting to keep things down, fine. But but you have to kind of listen to your body. I mean, like, if you were doing, if you were not doing as well as you were doing, then I would say it's important you go get checked out. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I called my doctor after I saw the medium ketones, and she was like, if they don't go away the next, like, six hours or whatever. Yeah. Um, So I ended up being fine, and they did ultimately go away. But it's so interesting because I didn't wake up. Like, I, I made sure they were gone before I went to bed, and then I woke up the next day, and I was, like, very thirsty or whatever, so I checked again, and they were back, but, like, very small amount, mm-hmm. and then it was fine, but I'm, like, 90% sure, because I, like, just didn't drink any water for the eight hours that I slept, okay. and still had whatever going on yeah. was going on, so, like, it came back a little bit, but then it was fine, and, and it went were away. were you
2: eating throughout that period? Yeah. Okay. But it was just coming right back out?
0: Yeah. Okay. It's okay. I'm... I'm not trying to get diagnosed right <laughs> now. LOL. Between Miriam therapizing me and he trying to figure out all of my...
1: <laughs> well, my usual mantra for Emily is like ketones do not equal ketoacidosis. It's and correct true. me if I'm wrong, Mike, but that was kind of how I felt. It's like if I have ketones, if I keep hydrating, keep doing what you need to do, like I try to not be too alarmist about it, but sometimes I don't know if I'm being too lax.
2: Well, so it depends. I mean... Typically, I mean, ketones in your in your blood or in your urine are not normal. That you really should never have ketones. Um, but ketones in and of themselves, isolated, are not the scary thing. It's everything has to be taken into a clinical picture in the context. If you're eating, keeping food down, if you're being well hydrated, if your blood sugars are under two fifty, and you have minor to low ketones, probably not nearly as alarming as someone who's vomiting with blood sugars at three fifty. That's not keeping yeah. anything down. That's obviously a very different picture. And so you always have to take everything in context. You know, like we were saying before, people that are eating zero carbohydrates, they will have ketones in their urine. They're, they're aiming to have ketones in their urine.
1: Okay. Um,
2: and they're not going into a state of ketoacidosis. So you're right in saying that you can have ketosis without ketoacidosis. Okay. But it's much harder to tease that out in a type 1 diabetic. And so that's wow. why you have to be careful.
0: Miriam's never suggesting waiting 24 hours of having ketones. I think she's always just trying to talk me off a ledge and be like, you've only had ketones for maybe two hours. Give it another two hours and check exactly. again. And check some water. Um, but, yeah, and drink water. But, I mean, it, it like when I was posting about that, I had plenty of people write back be like, oh, my God, I didn't know that was possible. Or on the other spectrum, be like, Yeah, I had really high ketones and had to go to the hospital, even though my blood sugars weren't even above 180, because I couldn't keep anything down, and, like, I was caring for a small child. Like, there are different things.
2: Right, there's
0: context. So, it's like, I think it's always good to err on the side of caution, but we don't want our listeners running to the hospital every five seconds. Absolutely. So, know the situation, give things time, but not too much time. If you're ever questioning and feeling really, really worried, it's always best to go get checked out, even Mm -hmm. if you know you're okay and yeah. I think
2: I think a good rule of thumb also is if you feel totally fine and you just happen to see ketones or something's going on first and foremost call your physician okay and they can make the decision as to whether or not it's worthwhile you going to get checked out as in the ER or not but I agree with you you don't need to run to the ER every time you think something's mm-hmm. off call your doctor first but if mm-hmm. you are on death's door and don't feel well then you go right
0: to the ER. And by death door, we mean if you are already existing, having a cold or flu and having other symptoms, not just... I mean, honestly, if you have sporadic ketones, that's something in itself that you should probably go to get checked out. But in this instance, if you're treating your symptoms for the flu and staying hydrated and you have low to moderate ketones and your blood sugars are going back down... We're not necessarily suggesting that you not call your doctor. That was double negative. Basically, just call your doctor doctor. and get it checked out. Who's not Mike? Your doctor's not
2: Mike. I'm not your doctor. I mean, I might be one day, but not right now
0: and uh yeah because right now that would mean like you're at the ER and you don't want that no we don't want that no we don't want that for you okay so we're gonna wrap this up because I could go on forever and it's a Sunday night um any final questions I feel like this was very informative but also very rambling because I love to ramble and it's like my middle name I was
2: rambly as well I apologize no but it was
0: very
1: so informative that's what this was great it was, tw- I'm
0: trying to apologize less, but it's all I do. I'm with you. I do it a lot, too. It's really hard. But this is fun. You guys are great. We should, we
2: should continue to, maybe I can get into season seven. We'll do a season oh, seven. Oh,
0: cool. we would be honored. Yeah. Let's do it. Is going to be like one of those things where Miriam kept coming on as a guest and then she ended up co-hosting yes,
2: with me? <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you right now, I already know that <laughs> so I don't have the time to do so, but I would love to.
0: Hello. <laughs> <About laughs> we could, but Mike's like, I'm about to start my endocrinologist <laughs> residency. <laughs> See you all in five to eight years. Like, bye. <laughs> when
2: I'm done with My training at 55 years
0: old. (laughs) When he finally settles down. (laughs) LOL. Well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Mike, where have you been your whole life? You should definitely follow him on Instagram. He is an artiste and a doctor and also a diabetic. So basically, All of the things that are fun to watch. I'm trying to pull up your page so I can give the proper shout out. But honestly, do you just want to plug your Instagram? Sure.
2: Yeah. Well, um, first off, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. You guys are doing a real service. Um, Really appreciate being on the show. Uh, My Instagram is my name, Mike, M-I-K-E dot. My last name, Natter. And like Nancy, A-T-T-E-R. So Mike.Natter, that's Instagram. And then on Twitter, I started tweeting. Tweeting the deets. No. Mike underscore Natter. I am old, so Twitter. You use the Twitter. All right,
0: I need a poll. Whoever's listening, slide into our DMs and let us know if you use Twitter. Because I'm in a constant argument with my boyfriend about this. I think no one uses Twitter. I think it's a dude thing. I think guys like to. I mean, that's like incredibly sexist. But from what I've gleaned, it's mostly guys. Do you know what
2: I don't use? Snapchat or TikTok.
0: Okay, well we're not oh, infants. Yeah, I don't, I don't even that. know what TikTok is. So
2: I didn't either. But okay, you're not on it either. So no I thought it was way yeah, too, old too old for TikTok. Okay, got it. Got yeah, it, got I think it. it's yeah. um,
0: I think it's That's the kiddos. Awesome. Yeah, it's like it's a the, it's a high school, maybe early college thing. Okay. Oh my god, I've never felt this old in my life. Yeah. I'm only twenty six. Yeah, you're a baby. I thought I'm you a baby. would be on TikTok. I don't offended. use
2: Facebook much either. Anymore. I use yeah. Facebook
0: for pancreas pals. Um. But also mostly to post all my articles about work so people Fair. read what I write.
2: Fair. So Twitter would be good for you then?
0: Yeah, I know. A lot of writers have, have a Twitter. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, I only use Twitter to tweet at airlines when they offend yell me. Yell at the airlines, yeah. Yeah. It's a good venue um, for that. But also feel like it would be a good venue to yell at my health insurance too. Absolutely.
2: That's a big mess. Yeah. Have you done an episode on that?
0: Health insurance? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, okay. no, I've never tweeted at my health insurance, know. but yeah. Oh, it's oh, a hot so mess. Express. start
1: tweeting at them. I oh, want my God. I'm
0: going to become, I'm going to get a bad name for myself. All right. As my blood sugar continues to spike, I think it's time for this gal to go on a little walk about town. Um, <laughs> but a, a final thank you to Mike and Miriam. I miss you. Come back to my life. Bye. Oh, my God. I, okay. I didn't do my plug.
1: Plug it. Yeah, in. do your
0: spiel. Miriam, you can't believe I just said I missed you and you just said bye.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right,
0: we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> all right so here goes the spiel miriam's favorite part thank you guys for listening if you'd like to follow us on instagram we're at pancreas underscore pals on facebook at pancreas pals pp you can slide into our dms on both and we love to get a good email out of you guys so send us an email at pancreaspals123 at gmail.com for any questions that pertain to the pod Um, Also, if you have any ideas for Season 7, this is the finale, and Season 7 will be coming up in a a few short months. So we're really excited to kick things off. We have more exciting guests coming on, really exciting partnerships, um, and just, um, you know, continuing our pal life. So thanks again to Mike, and have a great rest of your week, everyone. Bye. Bye,
2: everyone. Like and
0: subscribe. (laughs)